2: Hey, fellow travelers, I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist column for The Atlantic.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. I wrote Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists.
2: This week, a woman faces her first holiday season after
4: a difficult divorce. My dad would bring up, he would think, like, then, does he get me for all the nights of Hanukkah? My mom, Christmas is only one night. So, you know, there was some of that fighting listen in and maybe learn something about yourself in the process
3: dear therapists is for informational purposes only does not constitute medical advice and is not a substitute for professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment always seek the advice of your physician mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition by submitting a letter you are agreeing to let iheart use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and or clarity. Hi, Laurie. Hey, Guy. So what do we have today? Well, tis
2: the season. Ah. Here's the letter. Dear Therapists, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety with the holidays fast approaching. I got divorced this year, and navigating being newly single while facing the isolation of COVID has been difficult. I live across the country from my parents, and I am struggling with the potential to have to spend the first holiday season post-divorce without my wife and without my family for the first time. To add some additional context, my parents are also divorced and do not get along at all, do not talk, can't be in the same room together. Going home has always been extremely stressful for me because even as an adult, I feel like I'm thrown back into the custody schedule of my childhood, where I'm living out of a suitcase and constantly going back and forth between houses. The idea of managing the usual anxiety I feel when going home for the holidays while also navigating the risks of COVID has been somewhat overwhelming. Do I not go home at all due to the risks of infecting them and leave my mom to be alone during the holidays? If I go home, do I only stay with one parent to reduce transmission risks when I know doing so will upset the other? If I don't go home at all, how do I navigate being alone for the first time since my divorce? The idea of being by myself feels awful, especially as my now ex-wife has already moved on. The holidays have always caused me stress given my family dynamics, but it being my first season without my wife and being far away in the middle of a pandemic has added some additional anxiety to the situation. I would really appreciate your help on this. Thanks so much, Shannon.
3: One of the things that comes up every year around the holidays is that people whose parents are divorced are faced with who do they choose? Who do they disappoint? And if they're in a situation where they're married and their spouse has parents who are divorced, and there are four people to disappoint potentially. There is this tension that comes around the holiday season for people when their parents are divorced, which is just baked in unless they have found an ongoing solution. And it takes away from the anticipation and the enjoyment almost every year.
2: You're right. And it also brings up This memory of having to deal with that tension as a child. A lot of the time you feel as a child, like you're stuck in this place that some of your friends don't have to deal with, where you know that you're going to be splitting the holidays. It's not that much fun because there's maybe tension between the parents. You're missing the other parent. If you're at one parent's, it just feels different. And it takes some getting used to. And then when you have to face it as an adult, sometimes it brings back a lot of those memories.
3: And the other thing that happens is that I always ask people, what are you anticipating? What's your expectation? And invariably what they anticipate or expect is three or four levels above what the reality was for the past 10 years.
0: I think
2: one of the things that's important for her to realize is that even though she has a specific experience of growing up in a divorced household, most people experience stress during the holidays, even if they get along with their families. We have this idea of what the holidays are supposed to be like. I think that most people imagine that everybody else is having this picture-perfect holiday season and they're not. And so I think it's really helpful for people to understand the reality better so that they can have a good time knowing that they aren't having a vastly different experience from the rest of the world. Yeah,
3: let's just tell people that the holiday season and especially the aftermath, this is the busiest time of year for us therapists.
2: That's right. <laughs> and for good reason. <laughs> yes,
3: exactly. So let's talk to them. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does
5: I'm Lori Gottlieb.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists.
5: So hi,
4: Shannon. Hi.
3: (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show. It's
4: good to meet you guys. Thank you so much for having me.
3: You're very welcome. So it's been a year for you. It's been a year for everyone, but it's been a year for you. Can you tell us a little bit about the marriage and the divorce and how you are?
4: Yes. So I got divorced almost exactly a year ago at Christmas time last year. And we were married for three years, together for seven, and officially ended it a couple of months before the divorce was finalized.
3: Who's the one that initiated the separation?
4: I was the one that officially ended it. Okay. Can I ask how old you are? 32. Okay.
3: How are you in terms of the reconstruction, the rebuilding part that comes after a divorce?
4: It definitely feels like a rebuilding. I am doing a lot better. I think it was like a whirlwind for a really long time. It felt like my world sort of just came crashing down in a way. Honestly, this year has been about like redefining myself, like trying to figure out who I am now outside of that relationship. And frankly, who I was even (laughs) prior to that relationship, just trying to find like a new semblance of me. And it's been a journey, I would say, honestly, both a lot of real lows, and then also some like highs of kind of figuring out myself for the first time.
2: It's interesting that you talk about figuring yourself out, because it sounds like you spent most of your 20s, which are these really formative years in this relationship. And so now you have this both challenge and opportunity to do some of the things in terms of the figuring out that maybe you didn't do because you were in this relationship.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. I mean, in retrospect, I can see how much I lost myself in the relationship, but going into it really had no idea. A big part of this journey has been about finding my own sense of self-worth more than anything that I think I, I lost. And frankly, probably didn't have a lot of going into things.
2: What is your relationship like now with your ex? How did that parting go?
4: Not well. I don't speak to her at all. About a month into our marriage, she told me that she had never been happy in our relationship and that the relationship had never met her needs, that it had always been only about me, and that she had been dissatisfied the whole time.
3: This was a month after the marriage? Yeah. That's okay. interesting choice of timing.
4: Yeah, it was a shock. I was really caught off guard and just really stunned at what that all meant. How
2: did she explain the fact that you'd been together for many, many years at that point, and she never shared this with you, decided to marry you, and then a month after marrying you discloses this?
4: Yeah, I think that was why it was so jarring, was that there wasn't really like an explanation. It was, well, I guess the explanation was like, she was tired of not putting her needs first and she should have done that before and didn't. And that now I need to meet her needs and I need to prove to her that I can, because she would say to me that she doesn't think that I have the ability to meet her needs, that I'm not capable of doing that. I still struggle a lot with what that all meant. And I think I went into just overdrive mode of trying to fix everything. I begged her to go to couples therapy right away. She was in her own therapy and said she didn't want to do couples therapy. She wanted to focus on herself, that that was what she needed. She needed me to put that need first. That first year after we got married was sort of a like, kind of spiral in a way of her revealing all of these ways that I make her unhappy and me trying to fix it.
3: Can you give us an example of one of those things?
4: Our sex life was one example that she told me was all my fault. She told me she would never initiate sex ever again, that I had to fix it.
3: But what was broken?
4: According to her, how much we had sex was a big one. So she felt like you would not initiate sex. The burden was on her. Mm -hmm. And so she said that I had to initiate. She was never going to initiate again.
3: Was that the first time she voiced that concern to you?
4: We had had some arguments about that earlier on when we were dating. I thought we had worked through a lot of that. She told me that she had tried to convince herself that it was fine and that it wasn't.
2: Meaning you did listen to what she had said and you tried to initiate sex more, but it wasn't enough right? in her view. Okay.
4: And that's where the other part comes in. She would say like, I need to be shown that you're able to put someone else's needs above your own because I don't think you can do that. Can you give us maybe another
2: example as well of where she felt that?
4: Yeah. One of the other examples was like crying when we would have hard discussions. So I tend to be a more emotional person. She told me that, like, I shouldn't cry when we talk because it makes her feel like there's not room for her emotions. And so I just have, like, memories of just, like, holding it together or trying to, like, not be me. Sorry.
3: (laughs) Here you are allowed to cry.
4: I think I'm still working on not feeling like there's something wrong with me.
3: For having feelings. Shannon, if I would have asked you two weeks after the wedding, say, or at any time before, hey, what's your assessment about how balanced this relationship is? How much is it about you versus about her? What would your assessment at that time have been?
4: I would have said that we are very different people, that we have very different needs. I would have said she met my needs. (laughs) She was there for me during like some of the hardest times of my life and supported me through them and made me laugh. And I thought when we had had conversations before, like all through dating and the engagement, and we would talk about our lives and like spending our lives together, she would always tell me like how I made her the happiest person. And I think what was so confusing was She said how much she was glad that we were so different in how we expressed ourselves, that she was happy that I was a more emotional person because she wanted to be more in touch with her feelings because that was something she really struggled with and that she wanted that in her life. So it felt like a 180 that came out of nowhere to me.
2: Do you know what her needs were that she felt weren't getting met? You talked a little bit about
4: sex. What else? She had a really tough upbringing. She had a mom who was undiagnosed bipolar at the time and was abusive, basically, and had always been on her own. Like, from the time she was really little, she basically was abandoned as a kid. And her dad died when she was 15. And so there was a lot of trauma that she had faced. And she needed a safe place. We had always talked about wanting our home to be a safe place for us to have joy and have family game nights. We had been in the process of having kids. We had bought sperm from a sperm bank. Like we had done all that and had talked about how for her, she needed and wanted this life.
2: You talked about having kids after she had said to you that her needs were not getting met a month after the wedding or this was before you got married. You talked about having kids and then that was off the table once you got married and this revelation came out.
4: We talked about having kids from like month 1 <laughs> of dating. We had our kids names picked out. It was always the plan. While we were engaged was when we bought the sperm and the plan was basically to start trying right after we got married. We had our fertility doctor and she was going to carry and we went to all the appointments and we were Doing a belated honeymoon when she got a job offer that was like something that she didn't want to turn down. We ended up delaying the first insemination like a week before we were supposed to do it. That was basically right at the time when this was all unraveling. In retrospect, I'm grateful. I think I was just like so desperate to fix, to not be in the place we were in that I was like willing to keep going, I guess.
3: So for a year, you were making efforts to do everything you can to accommodate her needs. Two years after that, you were still together. You just kept that up or or did something change?
4: It got worse. In addition to like all these other areas of her needs not being met, she said that we needed to explore opening up the relationship so she could sleep with other people. So there
2: was this conversation about initiating sex, but were you not having as much sex as she wanted? Was that also part of it? Mm -hmm. And was that because you have different needs around that or because there was so much difficulty in the relationship, you were not feeling like you wanted to have sex or are you generally somebody who was not
4: as interested in the frequency of sex that she wanted? I think it's a hard question because I, the time probably would have said that There was something wrong with me for not wanting to have sex as much as I didn't want to have sex. I think in retrospect, I now realize that I was feeling really unsafe.
2: Help me understand, unless I'm missing something, you weren't feeling unsafe in the beginning of the relationship. Not at all. So in general, she wanted to have sex more frequently than you did. That's right. Okay. And then it just wasn't
3: addressed?
4: I think it was basically, yeah, not addressed to her satisfaction. I didn't realize that until she brought it up after we got married.
3: Okay. So she wanted to open up the relationship. You did not.
4: Well, when we were dating, she had said that this was something that eventually she'd want to explore. And I said, okay, to that when we were dating, but that it was sort of in the future.
3: But was it okay for you?
4: I think I convinced myself that it was okay with me because that was what she wanted.
3: It's an interesting response from the person who supposedly doesn't meet her needs and only makes it about you. Yeah. That's you actually doing the opposite, meeting her needs and dismissing you.
4: Yeah. In retrospect, I can see that I wasn't deep down in touch with my own needs about this because I would cry every time we talk about it. It was not something that I was comfortable with. I convinced myself that I was fine with it until she kissed someone for the first time. And I had like a really emotional reaction to it. How did you hear about that? She told me.
2: But There were rules around opening up the relationship and that was that you would tell each other that you had seen someone else or you would tell the details like we had sex or we
4: kissed. What were the rules around this? The rules that we had said were basically like it wouldn't be something that would be a long ongoing relationship that it couldn't be somebody who she had any emotional connection with and that I had to know that it was happening. We said that we would kind of determine how much I wanted to know.
3: I'm sorry. This was set up in that one-sided way that this is mostly something she'd be doing and you'd be tolerating.
4: Yeah. I was operating with a lot of abandonment prevention (laughs) strategies. I can see that now. But at the time, I was so desperate to just save the marriage that I convinced myself that it was okay. And I really believed it. I really believed it was okay until she kissed someone. And when she kissed someone, it was almost like my body couldn't hold it together anymore. Like, oh, wait, you're not okay with this. And so we had a conversation where I said, I'm having a hard time. With this. And she said she didn't care, that she was going to keep going. But at the time she was doing this, she also started to become cruel to me. She would just berate me for a lot of things about myself. And so I was living in this place where nobody in my friends or family knew what was going on, but she was pursuing other people and yelling at me at home, and I felt really alone.
2: Why did nobody in your circle of friends and family know what was going on?
4: We were like the golden couple. We had this huge group of friends and family. I mean, and so that fall I started to talk to my friends and she got really really angry at me but it became a really big issue her yelling at me for like telling my friends what was going on
3: Did you stop telling them then? No.
4: I didn't stop telling them. I was really careful about what I said. So a lot of them didn't know the like extent of it. Until it got further along. And I feel grateful like every day for my friends because they kept pushing me to like speak more and be more honest about what was happening because that was what ultimately let me realize it wasn't okay what was going on. When she would tell me that it was all my fault or that I was weak or that I was like selfish or that I was abandoning her. All these things, I believed them. It took talking to other people for me to start to consider that that wasn't true and that I didn't have to stay, that I wasn't stuck. But that took a really long time.
2: You know, Shannon, you wrote us about the holidays and the way people think about the holidays is influenced heavily by what they've experienced before and what they might be experiencing at the time as opposed to the holiday itself. And you are not even a year out from the end of a long relationship when it's your entire 20s. It's a long time. And it ended right around the holidays last year. So there's that. And you're grieving And you're also processing and going through some post-trauma work. And so all of this is going on at the time that we are sold this idea that the holidays are going to be great. It's the holiday season. (laughs) And there's a big mismatch between what you're actually experiencing and what you're told you should be experiencing. It's a little bit like in your relationship, you were told you should just go along with this and be okay with this. And there was another part of you that was saying, I'm not okay with this, right? So the false self and the authentic self. And so I I just want to put a pin in that for a minute and go back a little bit farther. I think Guy and I are both very curious about the divorce of your parents you mentioned a little bit about what holidays were like then, but tell us about how old you
4: were what happened when your parents got divorced, what changed in your life. I was 3 when my parents got divorced. My brother was 2. I don't remember, obviously, but from what some family friends told me, it was pretty contentious. Like they hated one another. They still they couldn't talk to one another. A lot of that communication was done through me. They had joint custody. That schedule was a hot mess, honestly. It was a hot mess because they hadn't worked out a custody schedule or they didn't follow the schedule that was worked out. They had worked out a custody schedule, but one of the biggest issues growing up was equal time. There was this issue of equal time to the like Mm. minute or second. If it was like a minute after, you know, my dad's time, there was always just constant yelling about how I don't have enough time or you don't have enough time. And so it was basically designed so that they each could have the exact equal amount of time because they loved us so much. I sometimes say like (laughs) they loved a little too hard. (laughs) Like, I know that's silly.
2: Growing up then, where did you spend the holidays with this hot mess of a custody schedule?
4: (laughs) So uh, I would do two Thanksgivings usually. The Um, same day? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We ate a lot of food. (laughs) Luckily, they didn't live too far away, so we could go back and forth. And then for the winter holidays, luckily, my dad is Jewish. My mom's Christian. I remember growing up thinking, like, "Uh, thank God, because it made that so much easier. There was always an issue though. my dad would bring up. He would think, does he get me for all the nights of Hanukkah? My mom, Christmas is only one night. So there was some of that fighting in addition to other issues. Did either of your parents remarry? My dad remarried when I was in college, but had like a lot of girlfriends growing up. And my mom, she dated somebody when I was really little, like maybe five or six. And then after that, she didn't date anybody until I was in seventh grade and then got married when I was in ninth grade. And they got divorced when I was in 11th grade. The only time my parents ever were in the same vicinity was once a year on my birthday or once a year on my brother Josh's birthday. How
2: did you feel about the holidays as a kid? Anticipating, oh, it's going to be Thanksgiving. It's going to be Hanukkah. It's going to be Christmas.
4: It was stressful. I was excited in like the way we would decorate. My mom and I would make Christmas cookies and my dad and My brother and I would light the candles for Hanukkah. Like, I remember loving the traditions. But yeah, it was really stressful to be going back and forth, just fighting my dad on the phone with me and me standing next to my mom and my dad screaming in my ear to tell my mom this and vice versa. And like, basically trying to figure out some way that we could spend time with both at the holidays and have it be like... Who who are we going to go to Thanksgiving with first? Because then that dictated whether or not I would spend the night, whose house I would spend the night at, which was always a big thing.
3: So usually these holidays, a lot of them are planned around the kids. And yet it was very clearly centered around your parents because they were fighting tooth and nail about every millimeter. And usually when kids grow up in that situation, they learn to become attuned to their parents' feelings and needs because no one's asking them how they feel about it. And when Rebecca said to you, hey, this is all about you, this isn't about me, your response to it was to go into fix mode in which you, as much as possible, try to make it about her. I'm saying all of this because here we are facing another holiday season in which, in your letter, you were clear about how distressing it would be for your mom to be alone or for your dad to think this or for your dad to be jealous or for your mom to be jealous and how do I deal with all the other people's feelings? And I think that in the stage of rebuilding after what sounds like an emotionally abusive relationship, that this year, it needs to be about you.
4: (laughs) I don't even know what that means.
3: <laughs> I actually agree. You probably don't, but I'm throwing it out there anyway, because that's that's something I would like you to just think about as, a, as an
4: unusual notion. <laughs> that's probably what my friends would say and my therapist. <laughs> Sometimes when kids grow
2: up and they're very aware of their parents' needs in a way that maybe isn't age appropriate because they're so young, Two things happen. On the one hand, kids feel like I have to look out for other people's needs and I don't know how to even know what my needs are. But what they do on the other hand is they feel so desperate to get their needs met because they haven't in certain ways that sometimes they're not aware of the ways in which they are asking other people to meet their needs. And we do tend to regress during the holidays You know, we go home and all of a sudden we feel 16 again and we don't know why, like that remark that mom made or that thing that your sibling did or whatever, all of a sudden you just go straight back to that knee-jerk reaction you would have had (laughs) when you were younger. And so we want you to be really thoughtful before the holidays this year about what would it look like to be an adult in your early 30s who can sit with the fact that you're not quite sure what your needs are, but you're going to make your best guess because you're going to reflect on it not make an impulsive decision, and take the time to sort through what it is that you want. In your letter, you throw out all these options, but I think you actually know what you want to do, but you're almost asking for permission. Is it okay if I meet my own needs this unusually stressful holiday season where there's COVID to consider, there's the end of a marriage that was traumatic, And then there's the history that I have with my family around the holidays where it's stressful. So given that we think that you said in your letter what you want to do, I want to hear you say out loud what it is that you think you want to do.
4: (sighs) Oh my God. Honestly, nobody's asked me that. (laughs) I haven't actually thought about it.
2: If it wasn't about worrying about how other people were going to be impacted what is it that feels nourishing to you
4: this holiday season i would probably spent it with my best friend who just had a baby and her family her family sort of become a second family to me here across the country from my own i lived with them for like the first month after Leaving, I didn't have a place to stay yet, and so they let me live with them.
2: What was that like when you lived with them?
4: Like, I felt so lucky, just so grateful to have the best people in my life. They sat with me and cried with me and (laughs) raged with me about things and ate dinner with me it just felt like a home and my home had not for a really long time, my home that I like had to leave didn't, hadn't felt like home.
3: A general tip you can use and maybe others can use as well is when you are unsure of what you will need or what you want, but you have good friends Ask yourself what your friends would say that you needed or wanted. It's not going to be the entire answer, but it's a good place to start.
2: And the reason isn't that your friends know you better than you do. Nobody knows you better than you do. But we know that your friends are more compassionate toward you than you are at this moment. When you learn to be more self-compassionate, your internal compass is going to be a lot more accurate.
3: And also the friends don't have the, wait, but how will mom feel? Wait, but what will dad say? They don't have that thing blocking you, so the minute you have a thought, it gets blocked. These friends, how many of them are there that you would say are really close?
4: So many. I feel like they've saved my life, honestly, coming out of that relationship. I have probably, I don't know, 10 people here who would drop anything, did drop anything, Help me move out of my house.
3: Literally one for every night of Hanukkah with a spare. So... (laughs) You, you have enough friends to see you through the holiday if that's what you're going to decide to do.
2: Yeah. We're going to hear in your words. This isn't necessarily what you're going to do, just to take the pressure off of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to get you in touch with what your needs are. If you picture yourself during the holidays and you use the word safe before and you feel safe and you feel loved and you use the word home and you feel like this feels like the kind of home that I want to create for myself. What would you do this holiday season? Where would you spend it? With whom would you spend it?
4: I would be with my friends. They've become like chosen family. Mm -hmm. They've given me keys to their homes Mm. because they want me to have it feel like mine. That's so beautiful.
2: There's something so symbolic about that. that You were talking about a sense of home and they gave you keys to their homes so that it could feel like your home
1: too.
4: When I left, my best friend gave me keys. I had a suitcase that I had dropped it off at her house and she made me a whole package of things that were all my favorite stuff to make me feel like, well, I didn't have a home anymore. Like that, that this could be mine too. What did she make? (laughs) There was a bath bomb because I love taking baths. (laughs) There was (laughs) wine. (laughs) There was a quote because I love quotes. Um, There was tissues. (laughs) There's a lot in there. It's just basically trying to show me that I might feel alone, but I'm not actually alone.
2: You were seen and understood and loved.
3: And what a wonderful thing that, given that you grew up with parents who, albeit loved you so much, they fought over you in some crazy ways.
0: They did. um,
3: But stressed you out because of it. (laughs) Yeah. And then you were in a marriage with someone who turned out to be a very different person than you thought they were. And yet you gather around you yeah. these ridiculously loyal, good friends. I mean, that care package was on point. Um, get in the bath, have a glass of wine, think of the That's quote.
4: exactly right.
3: <laughs> and here's some tissues for when you cry. Um, exactly. So, I mean, it was very well done.
2: Shannon, did Rebecca ever do things like that for you in your relationship?
4: Early on, she was really amazing at like showing me love and care. There was a lot of big gestures. I felt really loved and cared for. But afterwards, the thing that came to my mind just now was my birthday that year. She didn't even talk to me.
3: In the early part, before that one month after the wedding talk, Would you do things like that, gestures like that for her as well?
4: Yeah. For her 30th birthday, I wanted her to see how loved she was. And I got all of the people in her life to send birthday messages. And then I did like a scavenger hunt, 30 things for your 30th birthday throughout the day. And it ended with giving her the book. Did she enjoy that? Was she moved by that? She loved it.
3: That's why it was such a blind sight for her to come and say, you don't do anything for me. Because here's just one example.
4: That is... The voice that's in my head constantly still is like, am I crazy?
2: I want to give this a little bit more nuance, which is that there are probably ways that you did not meet her needs. Yeah, agreed. And and that's a real learning experience. The issue isn't whether you met her needs. The issue is what happened between the two of you when this finally got discussed. Mm. And it seemed like there wasn't... A conversation around this yeah. that would make it about the two of you as a couple, I've been feeling this way for a long time. I know that you do some nice things for me, but in general, I'm feeling neglected and here's why. And can we talk about this? And even not agreeing to go to couples therapy, well, how do you deal with that as a couple and talk about it? So it's not so cut and dry. Mm. And and I think that's going to be more helpful for you to be able to really examine, well, what are the ways where there was truth to what she said? Yeah. So I'm not debating necessarily the truth of what she said, because she felt that. What was traumatic about it was the way it was handled and the way that there was no real viable way to repair this, where the two of you were working together as a team
4: in open dialogue around this. I think that resonates a lot with me because... I would say that a lot, especially as my friends were telling me this isn't okay. There would be times earlier on before I talked to people where she would just berate me and I look back and I wished I had just walked away or said, I don't want to engage. But I just thought that like, I needed to stay and prove to her that I could tolerate it.
2: There's a difference between saying, here's what the issue is. And for you to feel, yeah, I could do better there right? Yeah. There were so many ways I could do better. Right. Right. And that's a learning experience. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like the way that that was communicated, that there was an element of
4: shaming you. Yeah. One of the things that happened when you said shame was she threatened me that she was going to tell people about what I liked or didn't like in sex because I was talking to people about what was happening.
3: I want to point out, Shannon, I think it's a little worse than what you're presenting because really the subtext of what happened a month after the wedding was she comes to you and she says, you have failed me so drastically that I am now revoking every right you have in this marriage. So you've lost your rights. It's not about you anymore. I don't owe you anything anymore. I don't have to do anything. Now, all the burden is on you. You have to prove it to me. And if you start complaining or, God forbid, crying or having feelings about it, I'm not going to accept that because I need you to prove to me that you can take it. So not only I'm going to be horribly emotionally (sighs) abusive to you from now on, you don't get to have a reaction because that will be a failure. That was the messaging. It's very severe. And I'm not sure... Even now you've fully wrapped your head around how bad that is. No, I, haven't.
4: <laughs> I think I get it, but I question myself so much still that it's like hard for me. I feel crazy sometimes still.
2: I think you're having trouble holding two things in your mind at the same time. One is that there maybe were things that you could have done differently and you weren't aware of them and... That was part of the learning and the growth. The other thing is that you weren't given the environment in which you could have done something productive about it. And so when you say, well, I think I'm crazy or I don't know who's at fault, you both did things in the relationship. But I think ultimately what you're left with is this obsessive rumination around, am I bad? Because she made you feel so bad all the time about who you are as a person. That's where the shame is. Shame is, I am bad. I am selfish. I'm not capable. I'm not strong enough. That was the message.
3: You are in a recovery process after being in an abusive situation. And it takes time to recover because you will feel guilty when you start thinking about what your needs are. Is this reasonable that I want to spend Christmas (laughs) with my friends? Is it reasonable that I feel this way? Am I allowed to cry now? Is that okay? Um, You know, all of that, it takes time.
2: I want to add the layer of COVID to this as well, because we're in the middle (laughs) of a global pandemic where most people are having some version of your dilemma. My family wants me to go home. I don't feel like it's safe in a, a situation where the parents are divorced. How much do I quarantine? Whose feelings are going to get hurt? Because that's going to mean I need 14 days here and 14 days there. And it's a lot of heavy lifting more so than a normal year. I think that you need to be able to give yourself a break and say, I have these very big stressors in my life right now around the holidays. There's my history around the holidays. I don't have memories of it being relaxed. I don't have memories of me getting to choose. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had that experience. I don't know what that would even look like if I got to choose how to spend my holidays, Mm -hmm. even though I'm in my early 30s. And then there's this issue of, I just got out of a marriage that broke up last holiday season. So on anniversaries of things, we tend to feel things more deeply because the time of year sometimes brings back those memories in a sharper way. So you've got all that going on and what we're saying to you, and I'm going to ask you one more time is if you can articulate what you want to
4: do this holiday season, what would that be? I don't feel safe traveling, no matter how much that is upsetting to anybody else.
2: So we were thinking about your history with the holidays and what you're going through now and how it's coinciding with this time of year. And what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to really think about how you can get your needs met during the holidays and also meet other people's needs. Because I think one of the things that tripped you up in your relationship and probably growing up too, was there was so much focus on whether your needs were getting met or you were meeting somebody else's needs. But I don't think that you really learned how to balance those two. And here's a great opportunity in your early 30s as an adult for the first time to say, what is it that I want? And then how can I also be aware of what other people want where I don't lose myself in that? So we were thinking about Hanukkah since that comes first this year. And we were thinking about how there are eight nights and we would like you to have that balance of, am I spending time with my dad And maybe your brother, if you also celebrated Hanukkah with him. And then my friends who mean so much to me. And I think you called them your chosen family. So what we'd like you to do is on the first night of Hanukkah, we would like you to light that candle on Zoom with your dad. And we would like you to come up with some kind of ritual that you can do every year, something that makes you happy. Maybe it's a song that you sing. Maybe it's decorating that you do. Something that you can do with your dad on Zoom. You can light the candle, but maybe there's something else too. And maybe there's something even without your dad. Maybe it is part of the decorating, whatever it is, but it's going to be yours. So we don't want to give you too many ideas. (laughs) We want it to come from you. And then that's the first night. The second night, we want you to light a candle on Zoom with your brother And again, have some kind of sibling ritual with him so that you're reframing the holidays, you're recreating the holidays as an adult and you're claiming them as yours. And you mentioned the excitement before and we want that excitement to transfer over into really owning them from now on. And then you have six nights left and with each of those six nights, we want you to unzoom to be safe with COVID. (laughs) We want you to light a candle, pick six friends and each night you'll do that with one of those six friends.
3: You can do more than one. So I the, mean, if you want to do, <laughs> if there's some friends left over, because it sounds like you might have leftovers. that have two <laughs> joiners. match, room.
2: do it however you okay. want. But we want, to, we want to start with the family and go over into the chosen family.
3: Christmas has a similar vibe. Clearly you would like to be with your friends and you should, but we would like you on Christmas Day to do something with your mom that you would do if you were there. You said you might bake together or do things together, but plan it ahead of time based some <laughs> logistics, but, but hang out with her a little bit.
2: And a little bit is the key here. We want you to gauge your comfort zone, that you're not there to take care of her, you're there to celebrate with her. But it's not because she's so sad and lonely or you're so sad and lonely, because that doesn't feel like yeah. a holiday at all. We want you to be able to have fun together And that might be because I think maybe the dynamic might be a little bit different. That's been set up and you're nodding. So, yes, we want you to say, hey, mom, what can we do for an hour on Zoom that would be really fun on Christmas? I'm not going to come this year because I'm not comfortable with COVID, but I still want to do something fun with you. What can we do? Do you want to bake something together for an hour? Do you want to watch a movie together for an hour? What do we want to do for about an hour? That would be really fun. So we can spend that time together.
3: With an idea of turning it into a ritual that you can do with her the next time you see her, or you can do on Zoom the next Christmas you're not with her. But that you have this thing that you guys do. Because what ritual does, as it makes it A, exciting, but it also really defines it as yours. And we want you to own these holidays.
2: And it also helps because no matter what else might be going on in your life, this year it's the aftermath of a divorce and COVID, you still have these rituals to depend on every
4: year. I've spent so much time focused on what the holidays mean relative to my family or to my marriage and the divorce. And it honestly is like, I have been dreading this season. And just when you guys were saying this, it made me more excited about it because it feels like I can see people that I love and have something new that Christmas won't always, or the holidays won't always remind me of my divorce.
2: A lot of people feel like when they haven't had a good experience with the holidays in the past, they don't realize that as an adult, they get to choose. They get to make choices about what would feel good for them on the holidays. And that doesn't mean abandoning the people that you love at the same time. So everything that we're telling you is about you creating rituals that feel good to you that also include the people that you love. It's both and.
3: (laughs) It's both and, and it's reclaiming, because this is what you're doing now in your own life. You're reclaiming your sense of self. You're reclaiming your emotions. You're reclaiming Hanukkah and you're reclaiming Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) There is one other aspect that we want to add. There's one person that is not invited to Hanukkah or Christmas, and that's Rebecca despite the fact that she's not invited, she might show up in your thoughts. She will, not she might, she will. Here's what we know when you ruminate about something, and this would be a rumination if she pops into your thoughts, is that if you spend two or three minutes at most focused cognitively, but concentrated on another task, it kind of resets Mm. the brain in a way that then when you go back, you don't have that intrusive thought of Rebecca And the kinds of tasks that work are ones that require concentration, memory tasks like, can I name the list of songs in a playlist? Or do I remember the order of pictures on your (laughs) wall? Stuff like that. Just it requires concentration for two or three minutes. It can be a crossword, but two or three minutes is enough to get that impulse out. And so if Rebecca comes uninvited, just refocus on the people who are invited for Hanukkah and for Christmas. We want you to not talk about her to the people you're around. It's a vacation for you. It's a vacation for them. It is a refocusing on the holidays and what that season has to bring.
2: And this is different from Rebecca saying, don't feel your feelings. You're not allowed to have your feelings. What we're saying to you is we want you to give yourself the gift of a break from Rebecca on these holidays. And we understand that Rebecca will show up but we want you to make sure that you keep giving yourself that gift of, wait a minute, I am here with these people that I love, who love me. This feels really good. I don't want to ruin it for myself. Yeah. (laughs) How does that all sound to you? It sounds great. (laughs) All right, well, we look forward to hearing back from you.
0: I think
3: part of the challenge for Shannon is going to be that she's still very much in a healing process. And in that sense, it's such an opportunity because taking control and creating this reality of a holiday in a way that suits her could be therapeutic in a more general way than just the holiday can really help her start to get in touch with her needs, her priorities, and having this balance of taking care of other people's needs while not losing sight of her.
2: So many times people forget that when they're adults, they have choices. In her mind, it was very much either I get my needs met or I meet somebody else's needs, but there was no middle ground. And I think that this will help her to rebalance that. And it's really good practice for her for whatever happens in her next relationship. And it's also really good practice for her for the holidays going forward, no matter what situation she's in. Absolutely. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break.
5: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
1: This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.
2: So after we gave the advice to Shannon, we got an email from her. And Mike, our producer, is going to share it with all of you. Hey, Mike, can you read the email from Shannon?
6: Thank you, Lori. Yes, I can. Dear Lori and Guy, thank you so, so much for the time that you spent with me. Guy, you said that you didn't think I've fully come to understand the severity of what I went through. I have struggled immensely with a massive amount of doubt over the last year. The truth is, I was really scared of her for a really long time those few years after we got married got really bad. She grabbed my arm while screaming at me. She told me divorce is in my DNA, that I would be incapable of taking care of a sick child, that she hates everything about me, that she isn't attracted to me at all anymore. She started sleeping with people and wouldn't tell me where she was at night or who she was with. And all the while, she was drinking, smoking, binging and purging, cutting herself, and saying that she didn't want to be alive. She was in massive amounts of credit card debt, and I didn't have any of my own savings anymore because we used it when she quit her job and couldn't find another one for six months. I was both terrified of her and terrified for her all at the same time. Thank you both so, so much for helping me to start to see that I need to face what happened more honestly. All the best, Shannon.
3: I'm not surprised by what Shannon wrote because it did seem that things were worse and that she was idealizing a little bit as if there were no problems whatsoever before the marriage and then suddenly everything turned terrible right after. It's usually not that sudden.
2: Yeah, and I think it's common when people start to really face the reality of how challenging a relationship was that because they're still grieving, there is still a loss for them, that they're not really ready to look at how bad it was because they think, well, why would I have stayed that long, seven years? And so I think there's some shame sometimes in really reckoning Mm -hmm. with, wow, what was I doing in this relationship for so long? And that's some work that I think
4: she's gonna have to do. But let's hear what she had to say.
3: Yes, that's gonna be very interesting now to hear her voicemail.
4: Hey, Lori and Guy, I'm just calling to give you a quick update. I have been working really hard to set up all of my rituals, and it's actually been really fun. I set up for Hanukkah Zoom calls with all of my family and friends, my dad the first night, my brother the second night, and then... A lot of my friends, everybody wanted to join. So doing a lot of Zoom calls the other nights of Hanukkah. And as part of that and building a new ritual for myself, I'm actually, because of how much I love to host people, I'm going to host a virtual holiday party where I'm sending out in advance little care packages to all of my people. And then we're going to actually do some fun activities together over Zoom. And in hopes that when we are after this COVID time period, we'll be able to do it all together in person every year. My mom and I are going to be baking Christmas cookies together on Christmas Day like we usually do, and she was totally understanding and very supportive of me not coming because of COVID this year, so I'm excited about that. And then I've been working really hard to disinvite my ex from my mind and give myself, like you said, the gift of emotional space. It's been really challenging, but really good. I think it's made me realize how much those thoughts have really wormed their way into my brain and how much I have... Power to actually focus on something else and, like you said, reset my brain. I also just want to say how grateful I feel because I think you made me realize how much I need to confront very honestly my experience and what I went through. I think I've been really hesitant to confront the painful parts of the abuse that happened in the marriage, and it's made me really committed in therapy, in particular, to. Going deeper into that and really processing what happened so that I can move forward. And really more importantly, also what it was that made me stay for so long and how I can build a stronger sense of myself so that um, I can focus on my needs in future relationships and not lose them to others. So thank you so much. I'm so excited, not just for the holidays, but honestly, for just living a healthier life that is much more aligned to what I need. And at the same time, being able to bring all of my people into that in the future. So thank you again and happy holidays. So often people like
2: Shannon, who are going through something really difficult, like this very difficult divorce, dread the holidays. And what I loved about what happened with her was that I heard so much joy and excitement and relief and looking forward to the future in her voice. So she went from, this is going to be horrible. I grew up with divorced parents. The holidays were always very stressful. Now I'm going through my own divorce. It's very sad. I'm grieving. And instead, she ended up with I'm having the most connected holiday season on my terms that I've ever had in my entire life.
3: I completely agree. The joy in her voice was so pronounced, it warmed my heart. And such a switch from how she was thinking about these holidays to how she's thinking about them now. Truly a 180 degree switch of empowerment, of taking control, of being proactive, of doing it her way in a way that will make her happy. And the only lament I have is that they're eight days of Hanukkah, they're 12 days of Christmas. She's organized so much she probably needs a few more days because those might not be enough. But that's a good problem to have.
2: I really like, too, that she has come to a place where she said, wait, I have to do some work on myself and I need to focus on that so that I can have different kinds of relationships going forward because that is a really important piece of this too. And I think that sense of being trapped, being trapped as a child between the two houses, being trapped... In this relationship, that was a a perception that she had as an adult that wasn't true. She could have left any time. And I think she felt trapped around the holidays, too. And now I'm going to have this horrible holiday season. And then once we had this conversation with her, she started to realize, maybe I'm not as trapped as I think I am. And she sprung herself from jail. And so she's doing this reckoning with herself. And I think the holidays bring up a lot of reckoning for lots of people. But I think it can be a really positive reckoning like it was for Shannon. And I hope that people listening to this will be able to take something from it so that they can do something similar to what Shannon did.
3: She very clearly is setting up rituals. And she used that word. And that's what makes a holiday feel like a holiday, the rituals. And that's something we can all do at any point on any holiday add in a ritual that's meaningful to us that we would really enjoy continuing going forward.
2: And they weren't just rituals, but they were rituals of connection. When people really put in the work to figure out what those will be, they find that they can create those in their own lives too.
3: Hey, fellow travelers, if you've used any of our advice from the podcast in your own life, Send us a quick voice memo to Lori and Guy at iHeartMedia.com and tell us about it. We may include it in a future show.
2: And if you're enjoying our podcast each week, please help support Dear Therapists. You can tell your friends about it, and we'd be so grateful if you'd leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help people find the show. You can follow us both online. I'm at com, and you can follow me on Twitter at LoriGottlieb1. Or on Instagram at Lori Gottlieb underscore author.
3: And I'm at guywinch.com. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at guywinch. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, email us at Lori and Guy at iHeartMedia.com.
2: Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to Samuel Benefield and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. Next week, A young woman struggles to find a balance between taking care of her own needs and caring for her husband, whose chronic illness is taking a toll on their marriage. We got married. We were
4: in this together. I'm definitely scared that our marriage could fall apart. I just don't know what to do without making it like this is his problem. Dear
2: Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
1: This is Amy Brown from 4 Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually,